If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Samuel chapter 2. We're going to be continuing our study of 2 Samuel. So 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Listen now, this is God's word. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? The Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam and Jezreel, uh, I'm sorry, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. This is God's word. We have said that we are going to be focusing on growing gospel relationships this year. These are the relationships that God calls us to. Relationship with him. A relationship, relationships with each other in the church. And then relationships with folks who are outside the church in the world. Relationships are vitally important. They are, uh, for some people, they are the only thing that matters. But for all of us, relationships are a huge part of our lives. And these relationships, in this passage, we're going to see how relationships are also a key to understanding and following God's will in your life. This passage shows us that relationships are key to knowing what God wants from you and key to following God's will in your life. We're watching David now as he begins to become king. He is taking the throne. And David's kingdom, his success as a king, it comes through relationships. Comes through relationships. We're going to see that actually often there's even an order to the relationships, right? We think about God, church, and world. We ought to think about him in that that order because our relationship with God comes first, right? It starts with our relationship with him. We want to start with our relationship with Christ. And as that relationship goes deeper, we actually see it affecting the rest of the relationships that we have in our lives. And so it's our relationship with Christ first, and then from that flow healthy and growing relationships in the church and in the world. And we see that in David's prayer in this passage. And David's prayer gives him three things. Okay, there's three things that David gets from his prayer. And these are the points in our outline. If you want to take notes here, we're going to see that David's prayer gives him these three things. First, prayer gives God's guidance. It gives God's guidance. Second, prayer gives gospel life. Gospel life. And then third, prayer gives growing relationships. Okay, so God's guidance, gospel life, and growing relationships. So first, let's see that prayer gives God's guidance. This is verse 1. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. 
It's interesting because after responding, in chapter 1, David responded to the death of Saul and Jonathan, right? And we saw that last week. Well, now the next thing that he does is he prays. He prays. Prayer is one of the best ways for us to grow in our relationship with God. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, if you want a deeper sense of who he is, if you want to feel more connected to him, prayer is one of the best ways that you can do that. It's how we can daily experience God's love. If you want to experience him every day, praying is one of the best ways to do that. You know, and there's lots of ways to pray. Okay, the Bible talks about all kinds of different ways. There's different examples of different ways to pray. Um, this prayer that David offers is eminently practical, right? It's a prayer of guidance, right? He's asking, God, what should I do? Right? Any of you ever prayed that way before? Right? How many times last week? Right? Lord, what should I do? What job should I pursue next? You know, Lord, um, yeah, what would you have me do in this situation or this relationship? God, what's your will for my life? Now, with David, David may have used the Urim from the priests to ask this question and get an answer. If you've read 1 Samuel, you see that the, the, the priests had this Urim and Thummim, and they would carry that around, and it would be what they would use to consult God. Um, for us, for us, though, in terms of learning God's will, for us to receive God's guidance, we need to practice what some have called listening prayer. Okay, listening prayer. That's really our version of what David does. Okay, prayer, it's about a relationship with God. Okay, and so if you're a Christian, if you are trusting in Jesus, then the Bible says that means God is your father. Okay, he is your father. That means he is in loving authority over you. Okay, and because of that, he cares. And prayer is you talking to your dad. It's you talking to God who knows you, who cares for you, and who wants to lead and guide you. And so we connect to God through prayer. And when you ask God for guidance, you need to give him a chance to speak. Okay? You need to give him a chance to speak. And so that means you need to listen. Now, for some of you, this is very natural. It's actually already a part of your prayer life. You listen to God pretty frequently. Um, for others of you, the idea of listening to God sounds kind of freakish and weird, right? Because what does that mean? You know, I know for me in my Christian life, um, I became convinced that prayer was me talking to God and then reading the Bible was God talking back to me. Okay, now that's legitimate because God does reveal himself. He reveals his will. He reveals his desires. He reveals his character. We can know God better through scripture, Okay. But I never, ever really slowed down and, and tried to listen in my prayers. Okay, and I have learned, I've been learning to do this more and more frequently as I understand and as I've had people teach me how to do this. And it's this exercise called listening prayer. And so the idea is, is that you ask God a question. Like that's what David does. Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And you listen. That's kind of a yes-no question, right? So that's, you know, maybe that's a little bit of an easier question. But then he says, to which one shall I go? And he gets a specific answer. Go to Hebron. And the idea here is that when we practice this, you ask God a question, and then you think about how does God feel about the answer? 
based on what I know about God, what does God think about this? And you stop and you think and you ask God, God, what do you think about this? And you just, you listen, you listen. Given what you know about God, how would he respond? So I actually want to, we're going to practice this right now. Okay, we're going to do an exercise just so that you can see how we're going to simple, simple exercise, how to do this. Um, We're going to try this out. I want you right now to think of someone in your life. Okay, so start thinking about someone um, that you're in relationship with. And I want you to think specifically about a relationship that is that's strained. Okay, think about a relationship that's strained. Maybe there's a conflict or there's been misunderstanding. Okay, but you guys are not you're on the same page. There's frustration there. There's something that's strained there. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's uh, at work or someone in your neighborhood. Okay, it could be a Christian or a non-Christian. doesn't matter. What we're going to do is we're going to spend a minute, okay? We're going to spend 60 seconds, and we're going to ask God for guidance, okay? What I want you to, and then we're going to listen. I want you to say in your heart, God, what can I do to help deepen this relationship? What can I do to help heal this relationship, okay? And we're going to spend the next 60 seconds just listening. And if you have a thought, if something comes to your mind, I want you to write it down. Write it down. It may be a thought. It might be a verse of scripture. It might be a story that you remember from the Bible. Um, It could be some truth that you've learned from outside that you think will apply to this. Okay, and if if those things come up to you, I want you to write them down. Okay, and so we're going to spend, again, 60 seconds. Um, Let me go ahead and lead us. God, would you please now speak to us because we're listening. God, open our hearts and our minds and tell us about this particular relationship. What can we do to bring healing to it or to help it go deeper? Okay. I didn't want to stop there. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I feel like the Lord brought into my mind um, a person that I've got a good friendship with and we've just sort of drifted. And she said something that I've been meaning to follow up on and I haven't taken the time to do that. Um, And I felt like God was pushing me to just make sure I set a time to meet with that person, have the conversation. What did he say to you? If he didn't say anything or if that was really uncomfortable, um, it's all right. Bring it up in your community group, your small group. Come talk to me afterwards. We can talk more about how, but that's the process of how it works. Um, when we need guidance, that's one of the ways that we can get it. Lord, what do you think? What do you know? What do I know to be true about you that would inform this decision? Okay, that's listening prayer, and I think that's our version of what David does here in this passage. Now, let me say that this is not a substitute for reading scripture. Okay, I mentioned it before, and I just want to mention it again. You know, sometimes God does not need to reveal anything else because he's already told us what he thinks in the Bible. Okay. Um, You know, and if you think that God is speaking to you in a way that contradicts what the Bible says, then you're not listening to God. Okay. Um, And so again, you know, this is, I mean, what's interesting to me is that I think it's the, the better, you know, scripture, the better you understand your Bible, the more you read it, the more you know who God is from the Bible, the better your listening exercises actually become. 
because you know more of who he is, you know more of how he thinks and feels, and you can bring those aspects of who God is to bear more wisely on the decisions that you're, that you're making. And so this is why when we talk about growing our relationship with Christ this year, we talk about that spiritual breathing, right? We breathe in the scriptures and we breathe out our prayers. You know, it's that, it's both. It's the word of God and it's prayer that really helps us to be guided by God. And so David seeks the Lord's guidance. And, and it's interesting because if you look at when David prays, this is after the death of Saul. Okay? Last week we saw Saul's dead. David's the king. Right? He is going to be the king and he knows it. And yet he prays. Okay? And I want to highlight that because I think, if you're like me, that what happens sometimes in our lives is that when we really want something really badly, when we want God to do something, we will pray earnestly, right? We'll seek him day and night. We'll seek him every day. We'll beg and plead with him to give us what we want. And then after we get it, it's like, God who? Right? I mean, it's not that we, we don't mean to do that often, but And I just think this is great that David has finally recognized the door is open for him to become the king. And the next thing he does is he prays. David doesn't forget that the Lord wants, it's not just about the blessings, right? God is the reward. And so we got to be careful because sometimes as we live the Christian life and we look for God's blessings, when we receive the blessings, we show that what we really wanted were the gifts and not the giver. And that leads us into a, into a bad place because, I mean, it's what we prayed about in our confession time. You know, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I want nothing on earth. I mean, God is the reward. And David shows that God is still his reward even after he, and, you know, after he is uh, enabled to take the throne. God depend, David depended on God to bring him to that place and didn't want to let go of God as he was now entering into the kingship. So God's answer is to go to Hebron. Is to go to Hebron. Now, Hebron was in Judah. Um, that's where David's family was from. Okay, so he's going to have support there. Yeah, so it kind of makes sense. God's answer fits and it's wise. Go to, go to Judah, go to Hebron. Um, and then Hebron was also the largest and most central city in Judah. And so you have God telling him to go to a place that was strategically wise also. You know, if you're going to establish yourself as the king and you're going to want to you know, rule over people, better to start with the folks who know and love you and better to start in a place that provides you with the ability to reach the rest of the region. And so, but the point here is that it was David's relationship with God that gave him guidance. Okay, it guided him to this place and enabled him to move forward with confidence. And that is what prayer offers us we can move forward with the guidance of God, with confidence. So that's our first point. The prayer gives God's guidance. Um, Our second point is that prayer gives gospel life. This is really verses 2 to 4, where David went up there and his wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. What we see here is that David left his old life. Okay, David left his old life. He was living in Ziklag. I mean, that's the town's name. You can see that um, in 1 Samuel 30. I know some of these names 
It's like, doesn't matter. I don't have a map in front of me. Maybe I should put a map up so we can see it. But um, Ziklag, let me tell you about Ziklag. Ziklag was where the Philistines lived. Okay? The Philistines were the enemies of God. Where the Philistines were in control, that was a place of curse. So if you loved God, you'd never be with the Philistines because they don't love God. They're God's enemies. And so if you had to be there, that meant you were cursed by God. Right? But that's where David had to live. Why? Because he was running away from Saul. Saul was trying to kill David. David didn't want to retaliate against Saul. And so David did the only thing that he could think of to do was to leave the land where God was, in, was, was, was king and where Saul was king and go to, uh, go to the land of the Philistines. And so now we see that he's leaving Ziklag and he's coming back into the promised land. Okay, and so this is a picture for us. David is leaving his old life and he's re-entering into the place of God's blessing. He makes a new beginning in Hebron of Judah. And he's not just leaving, but he's also burning bridges. Okay, he's burning bridges in the sense that he's not giving himself a way back. Okay, because this is why in verses 2 and 3 it mentions that he brings his wives, he brings his men, his whole household. Okay, this isn't David saying, well... I'm going to try things out, and if they go well, then maybe I'll bring everybody else. David's confidence in the guidance of God is enabling him to say, okay, we are all leaving. We're going, and we're not coming back. We are following God, and we are moving forward. We're going into God's plan for our future. In a sense, this is like a picture of the resurrection, right? Being cast out of God's promised land and now coming back in. It's like death and resurrection for David. And so this really, it's a picture of the gospel, right? It's a picture of salvation for us. And when we become Christians, we need to make sure that there's a break with our old life, right? There are things in our old lives that don't fit in with loving Jesus. You know, as we devote ourselves to him, as we say, Jesus you are king of my life. I'm going to follow you wherever you lead me. When we do that, sometimes Jesus says, okay, well, there are certain things in your life that are keeping you from experiencing real joy, real happiness. There are things that keep you set apart from me. You know, because the way it works is that if Jesus is king over our lives, when we set Jesus as king, that opens up a relationship with him and blessings flow. The blessings of joy, of happiness, of peace, the blessings of confidence, the blessings of forgiveness, the blessings of real inner transformation. These things all happen as we have a relationship with Jesus. When we let other things get in the way, when we say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to follow you except for this relationship or except for this area of my life. When we do that, what happens is we, we put a wall between us and Jesus, right? And some, it's, it's, it's like the river flowing downstream to us. If Jesus is the river and it's, he's flowing downstream, we're putting rocks in the river and it's causing the water to back up, okay? And when we do that, we cut ourselves off from our relationship with Christ. And what we need to do, what we all need to be reminded to do is what David did. And that's we make a clean break with our old life make a clean break to experience the fullness of God's blessings there are sometimes relationships that we need to set aside 
There are sometimes old habits. There's practices. You know, and if you want a way to think about it, what are the things in your life that cause you to forget your new life in Jesus? That's the question you want to ask. What is going on in my life that causes me to forget my new life in Jesus? So David makes a break. He leaves his old life to embrace this new life. And it's interesting because he's really, in a sense, almost a picture of Abraham. A thousand years before, God comes to Abraham in Ur of the Chaldees, which you don't know where that is. You've never heard of it because it was nowhere. (laughs) God says, I want you to leave that place and go where I'll follow you. And Abraham did. By faith, Abraham got up and took his whole family and followed God. David's doing the same thing here in this passage. And what's interesting is Hebron just happens to be the place where Abraham and Abraham's wife were buried. Okay, if you read Genesis chapter 23, you see that Abraham, the only plot, the only piece of real estate in the promised land that Abraham ever owned was a cave at Machpelah. And that was right where Hebron was. And so David moves to a place where it would be really clear to anybody who had eyes to see that this king of Israel, this new king, God's chosen king, is going to lead us just like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So even though David is leaving his old life and embracing the new life, he is moving in and associating himself with people who have followed God by faith. Does that make sense? So Hebron would shout out to people the memories of God's covenant, the memories of the history of the folks who lived and loved Jesus. Both men and women were associated with Hebron. And so David was joining himself with others who trusted and followed God. That's us, right? We can't do it on our own. We need to be associating ourselves with folks who have known and trusted God. And we do that as we read scripture. We are associating ourselves with these folks who have known and trusted God, but also relationships in the church. You know, part of you experiencing your new life, part of you experiencing what it means to, to, to have the fullness of Jesus in your heart, in your life, is to associate yourself, is to join up with relationships in the church. This is why it's important. It was so important that Jesus had 12 and 3. Right? He had his own group that he was especially associated with, that he had special relationship with. We need those same kinds of relationships within the church. And it's us experiencing gospel life that leads us into that. Okay, As we leave our old life, we need to embrace the family of God, like the members who have joined. They're embracing God's family. And so, um, so we see that in David's uh, uh, coming to Hebron. And then the last piece of, uh, of verse 4, um, where, I'm sorry, the first part of verse 4, is that then the men of Judah come, and there they anoint David king over the house of Judah. And so God, once David gets to Hebron, he's then blessed and inaugurated as king. The people come. So now it's not just a prophet in secret, from 1 Samuel 16, it's not just a couple of people that know that David's actually king, but now it's beginning to grow. 
the men of Judah come and anoint David as king. So we see another stage in David taking the throne. And I think it's important for us to see that this inauguration comes after David follows God's guidance. Okay, David prays to the Lord, Lord, where should I go? God says, go to Hebron. And David follows him, follows God's leading to Hebron, and there he is anointed. There he's anointed. That happens for us. Sometimes God says, I will bless you, but I need you to learn to trust me. And so I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to make a sacrifice. I'm going to ask you to go to a place that may be uncomfortable. And I'm going to show up there when you respond. Okay, that's what happens for David. When he responds to God's word and follows God's word, he's then anointed. God gives him that extra, that, that, that blessing of being anointed and being established. And so with this inauguration, it's interesting because it's the men of Judah who come. Okay, that's what the text says. Verse 4, the men of Judah come. So if you have any sense of how much or how, you know, of who the whole nation of Israel was, how many folks didn't come? Right? People of Dan, the people of Levi, the people of Simeon, the people of Naphtali, the people of Asher. There were 11 tribes who didn't show up for this anointing ceremony. Okay, this is one of the 12 tribes who showed up. It was David's family, right? And so what we see here, this is a definitive beginning. Finally, the king that God has chosen is on the throne and is now reigning. And yet, his reign begins pretty small. Pretty small. Um, I think this is what Jesus means when he says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, if you're like me, um, you get excited about following the Lord. You get excited about a new commitment to God, and you expect that you make a commitment, and then the next day you're going to change the world, right? You make a commitment. You're going to do something different. You think the whole office where you work is going to get converted to Jesus, right? Your whole neighborhood's going to come to your door and say, you know, hey, 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 we want to become Christians, right? Or, or you think, you know what? I'm going to talk to my wife, I'm going to talk to my husband and confess something that's been on my heart that I need to get off my chest because I need to make it right with them. And you think that that's going to give you the perfect marriage. Right? You think that everything's going to be fixed after that moment. That's not often how God works. Okay? Oftentimes, it starts with one-twelfth of the people. Okay, it starts as small as a mustard seed, but it will grow. But it will grow as you continue to respond to God's guidance, as you continue to experience the gospel life. There's so much of our ministry that oftentimes is characterized by Hebron, by small beginnings. And the key is not to see how big the results are, but just to see that there are results. Okay, that there is evidence that God is at work. And oftentimes God starts small. Oftentimes God's biggest gifts are small because God likes to use the things that the world doesn't esteem highly. He esteems them highly. Right? God loves small. 
I mean, for a bunch of reasons. One, because it shows when it's when that small thing is powerfully effective, it shows that it's God at work, not the person, right? God gets the credit, right? The other thing it does is it's a really good test of our hearts. Do we want this growth because we want the Lord and more of him? Or are we looking for his gifts? And so sometimes God will give us um, a little to see how we respond. To see if it causes us to draw away from him. This is really practical stuff for us. This is how God works in our lives. It's how God worked in the life of the king. You know David had these, these thoughts of grandeur. And yet he comes into the promised land. And it's only the folks from Judah who show up. Okay, if you're seeing God move in small ways, don't get discouraged. That's how it works. God is asking you, how are you going to respond? Are you going to stay close to me? Can I trust you with more growth? Can I trust you to, be, can, to, to stay with me? Or if I give you too much, will you run off? And so even when God gives us these blessings, it's, it's to help us see that it's the gospel life. And so David's prayer gave him guidance. Again, our second point was that David's prayer gives him gospel life. It gives him this new life. Okay, our third point is that prayer gives growing relationships. Okay, it gives growing relationships. Because verse 4b, <clears throat> that's kind of where it starts. That's second half of verse 4. When they told David... Uh, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. You kind of wonder what the tone was of that statement. Now David has the throne. Okay, now he's king. I mean, it's good to be kind and wise to the, you know, and loving and honorable to the deceased when you haven't yet been anointed as king, right? But now that David is king... And then he hears that there are people who have done this heroic thing for Saul, right? The Jabesh Gileadites, these folks, let me just tell you what, they, they, they did a forced night march of over 20 miles at incredible risk to their lives. And they stole the bodies of Saul and his sons off the walls of Beth Shan, where in, in, in I guess it was, was it the Amalekites? Uh, I don't know if it's the Malachites or the Philistines, but you know, it was the Philistines. In Beth Shan, the Philistines had, had taken the body of the dead of, of Saul. They beheaded him. They defaced his body. They deformed him. They desecrated him. And then they nailed his body up on the wall of their city, him and his sons. And so these men from Jabesh Gilead, uh, Gilead forced night march over 20 miles at they risked their lives. They rescued the bodies of Saul and his sons off the wall of the city and then carried them back and properly cared for the remains. This is in uh, 1 Samuel 31, the end of 1 Samuel. And so Jabesh Gilead, they had always been pro-Saul. Every single person in that city was for Saul. They were Saul fans because of what Saul had done for them. And the question is, how's David going to respond? These folks are coming and saying, okay, look, this group of folks, they're for Saul. They're doing heroic deeds for Saul. You know, the implication could be that these people may end up being a threat to you, David. What's David going to do? Now, he could keep a suspicious eye on them, checking to see him, watching them closely, and if they make a false move, he could attack. 
right? He could order a preemptive strike and neutralize these Saul supporters to make sure that they don't do anything that's going to cause a rival to his throne. David didn't do any of this. Instead of wiping the city out or punishing them, David commended them. He commended them and then joined them in admiration. You got to feel the weight of this. You got to feel the weight of this. David blessed the ones who were supporting his enemy. These folks who were clearly for Saul did this heroic thing, would have been in a perfect place to rally the rest of Saul's supporters to try to take over, usurp the throne. David turns around and he blesses them. He blesses them. He sent messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you and I will do good to you because you've done this thing. What we're seeing here is David's heart. The reason that David would bless these folks who were for Saul is because in David's heart, he was for Saul. He didn't see Saul as his enemy. And no matter what the motivation of the folks from Jabesh Gilead was, David shows love and honor to them. Love and honor to Saul and Jonathan last week. Love and honor to the men of Jabesh Gilead. He honors them. He praises them. And what he does, I mean, the result of that is that he makes his enemies his friends. How could he do that? I think it's because he, it's his prayer life. It's his relationship with God. He was so confident that God had led him to this place that he didn't need to worry. He didn't need to question the motives of someone else. Instead, he saw what they did and he honored and praised them. He blessed them for the good that they did. I mean, David could have, I mean, and this, this teaches us how we need to respond to other people, both in the church and in the world folks who are Christians and folks who are not. And this is a huge lesson for us. If we are growing in our relationship with God, God who is for people will teach us to be for people. If we think about relationships in the world with folks who don't know Christians or folks who aren't Christians, as we build relationships with them, we need to be for them. Every opportunity that we have to praise them for doing what we think God would want them to do in their lives, we ought to praise them for it. You think about it. How many, I guess I can't tell you how many non-Christians I've talked to in my own life who are used to Christians just acting in judgment. Right? You ask them what a Christian's like, oh, they're judgmental. They make me feel bad. They basically tell me all the stuff that they do and don't do and make me feel bad because I don't do what they do and don't do. And so I just don't talk to them anymore. And how are you going to build relationships where you can actually bless people who aren't Christians? 
It's by praising them to high heaven for the good that they do. It's by seeing their good works and affirming them. And who knows, you may end up being able to tell them, you know, boy, I think God feels the same way that you do about this situation. You know, what you did, boy, I think, I mean, I've done this over and over and over again with people where, you know, you're part of this, like you're doing AIDS walk. Well, I think God cares about people with AIDS. Right? You are out here, you're serving the poor. You're taking care of the homeless. That's God's heart. Christian or non, this is how God feels. I'm not going to push it on you. I just want to let you know that if you have any, if you're curious at all, I think my God is for what you're doing. When you do that, I mean, you build friendships. You appreciate people. They begin to appreciate you and you deepen your relationships. You grow in your gospel relationships in the world. And people think, wow, like these Christians, these are the kinds of people that I would, like when I imagine Jesus, I imagine him like this. Okay? And so we want to continue. We want to follow David in this, in this sense that David reaches out to them and he blesses them for the good that they did. And he shows us how in relationships, we need to be blessing people and praising them for the good that they do. This is also true in our relationships in the church. Okay, with other Christians, it's so easy for us to focus on things they do wrong. Right, to focus on areas where we disagree. Okay, now I'm not saying you don't want to know the truth. I mean, this isn't, this isn't, let's all pretend like we don't believe anything and that we all agree about everything. I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying that when you're in conflict, why don't you focus on what the other person is doing well so that they know you don't think they're just the worst person who ever walked the face of the earth. Because oftentimes that's practically what they hear if all you do is criticize. Okay, you want to look and affirm the good that people are doing. And that's how, and again, for us, the way that we can foster this is through prayer. When we pray like David did, when we listen to God, I mean, again, maybe even in the exercise that we had, did you, did you start to feel maybe God's heart for that other person? What does God love about that other person? What would God affirm about that other person? What would God say with a smile on his face about that other person? As you pray about the people in your life, as you ask God for guidance, God, would you speak to me? And you imagine how he thinks, how he feels in your prayer life. That's going to give you growing relationships because you're going to be able to share God's heart. God's heart is going to come and touch yours. And when your heart touches God's, yours gets changed. It becomes more like his. I mean, this is it. And when I think about this last point, the men of Jabesh Gilead who go and, and rescue Saul. I think about David who then praises them for it. To me, that brings me to Jesus. I see Jesus so loud and clear. I mean, in the one sense, Jesus does give us guidance and we come to him as our king. He will lead and guide us as we pray to him. Um, you know, as, as our, our new gospel life, it comes because of Jesus. Right? It's his death and his resurrection that gives us new life. 
right? The reason we can leave the old life is because he has made a way by the blood of his cross, okay? It's his cross that sets us free, okay? His blood cleanses us from sin. And then in his resurrection, he fills us with that new life, right? Um, And then here, in terms of growing relationships, I think about, I don't think about Saul humiliated and made a, a complete, um, like his life had such an awful ending. And then these men came and rescued him. I think about us and some of the shambles in our own lives that we make. I think about me and I think about the mess that my life was and the mess that my life continues to be in terms of some of my own relationships. And I think about if I'm honest, if I'm honest with myself, I feel like in some ways, if the truth were known about some of the ways that I respond in relationships, I would be as humiliated as, as though I was beheaded and nailed to a wall in public. You know, that sort of shame. If my sins were up publicly placarded for everyone to see, I mean, I think about that. And then I think about Jesus coming to rescue me. I think about Jesus coming from heaven to earth and not just coming to put his arm around me and show me the way, but realizing that it was going to take so much more than that. That Jesus would have to come and at not just great risk to himself, but at the sacrifice of his own life. It's like he climbed up on the wall and was humiliated for me so that I could be brought down. That's the cross. Jesus humbling, humiliating himself so that he could pay the price for our sins. Because I deserve the shame. I really do, because it's, it's usually my own doing. And so if you're like me, I just, I want to bring you to Jesus. I want you to see him like these men of Jabesh Gilead coming after you. That's what he's doing. If you're not a Christian here, that's what Jesus is doing. He's coming after you. He's finding you exactly where you are. He's bringing you down and he's bringing you home. If you're a Christian, then there may be areas of your life, right? You're devoted to him, but there's maybe areas of your life where you're not quite yet there, where you still have things that, boy, if they were known, you'd feel really humiliated. Jesus is saying, you know what? I died for that too. I died to bring you down from that so that you don't have to be in that place. And he's going to bring you into a greater sense of being home. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you come right now to every person here? And would you please convince them that you have come from them for them to take them home? When I think about your cross, Jesus, it makes me so, it makes me want to run to you because I see the freedom that we have to come and find forgiveness with you. Help all of us, Christians and non, to let you find us in those dark places, to let you find us in those places where we bear shame and humiliation so that we can confess those things to you. And even right now, Lord, help people to confess their sins, help them to confess their shame, And then tell them that you died for that so that they could be free.
cleanse us and fill us with your love and help us to have a a vibrant, wonderful prayer life because, Lord, you are that wonderful. Boy, there's, there's nothing better for us. You are our reward. There is nothing on earth that we desire but you. From the best bliss that earth imparts, we turn unfilled to you again. Amen.